Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. Didn't get a feeding manual with our kids when they were born. I wish we did. But the beauty here is that our children are already born with intuitive eating capabilities. And this is something that I I want mothers to understand is that it's not necessarily your job to teach your child how to become an intuitive eater. It's more of your responsibility to preserve the innate abilities that they already have. Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. Chris here, and I have another fantastic interview for you today in our Kids Nutrition series. You guys, this interview is one that I have been so excited to share with all of you. I think many of us who have struggled with our relationship with food, whether we've gone through an eating disorder, disordered eating, and just worked our way through diet culture and are on our way or exploring finding balance, We can have a lot of fear and a lot of questions when it comes to how do we raise our kids without the same struggles around food, around their bodies as we might have had. And how do we raise our kids free from diet culture when diet culture is everywhere? It's everywhere from children's TV shows to magazines to just the people around them. How do we protect our kids? How do we help them to grow up as intuitive eaters, accepting their bodies, accepting their own innate ability to feed themselves? 
How do we nourish our kids well, both physically and mentally, to have a healthy relationship with food? I am so excited for today's guest because she helps to calm and encourage us and help us to navigate that exact struggle and just to give us the the confidence that we can raise kids in a different way. She talks about the generational struggle that so many of us have gone through with dealing with dieting and negative thoughts around food and our bodies and that it's our job and we have the ability to change that. And it's through the way that we encourage our kids in their own relationship with food. And the way that Crystal shares how we can encourage our kids and help them to live free from diet culture is just in such a comforting and empowering way. I have been following Crystal on social media for a couple years now, and I am just always, always encouraged by all of her posts. She has some fantastic blog posts, and I just think that she is just the expert and an encourager when it comes to raising kids free from diet culture, encouraging kids to eat intuitively. And I am just so honored that I got to have this conversation with her. We talk about everything from how to approach mealtimes with our kids, encouraging a peaceful environment and relationship with food, how to portion food out for our kids and when it's appropriate to get our kids involved, how to help our kids to better trust their bodies and how to trust them to eat the right amount for them what to do about snacking. We talk about the big question around sugar and how to encourage kids to have a neutral relationship with sugar. Crystal shares her opinion on when it comes to teaching kids about nutrition, how we can approach that in a way that is neutral and encouraging intuitive eating. And I think you will be surprised and both surprised and encouraged at her response to this question. And then we also go into talking about kids and body size and what to do If we are feeling pressured by healthcare practitioners or people in our lives around our kids' body size and how we can approach that as well. This was such a fantastic conversation. I cannot wait for you to listen to it. For those of you who don't yet know her, Crystal Cargus, MS, RDN, IBCLC, is a maternal child health specialist and food and body image coach for mothers. Crystal is passionate about helping mothers build a peaceful relationship with food and their bodies so they can confidently nourish themselves and their families and bring joy back to eating. Crystal is committed to providing holistic, compassionate, and evidence-based nutrition care to mothers and families worldwide through her online blog and virtual nutrition coaching practice. Find more motherhood and mealtime inspiration on her blog or on Instagram at Crystal Cargus. Without further ado, I cannot wait for you to listen to my interview with Crystal. Hi, Crystal. Welcome to the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast. I am so excited to chat with you today. Thank you for having me, Chris. I'm so happy and excited to be here with you. 
I know that we are going to have such a good conversation, but I love jumping in with just a fun little icebreaker. So my icebreaker question for you today is what do you drink when you first wake up in the morning? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. I love, I'm like hooked on this turmeric ginger tea from Trader oh, Joe's. <laughs> um, and I usually drink that or some kind of herbal tea every morning. I used to be a big caffeine coffee person, but it just wasn't doing good for my anxiety. So um, herbal tea it is for me. I know that's probably a Debbie Downer for <laughs> our mom community, but that's what floats my boat. Well, I love turmeric tea, but I honestly can't imagine not having any caffeine in the morning. So kudos to you with five kids and <laughs> no caffeine in the morning. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I'm sure many of my listeners are already familiar with your work, but if they're not, can you just share who you are and what you're passionate about bringing to the world? Absolutely. Thank you so much for asking. Um, so like you mentioned, I'm a mama of five kiddos. They range from ages two to 10. We have four girls and one boy. Um, and really just being a mom and my experience in motherhood has really informed and shaped the entire trajectory of my career. I was having kids while I was finishing up my internship to become a dietitian. And it was really my experience through motherhood that um, opened my eyes to see what moms go through really when it comes to having kids. I mean, starting from pregnancy all the way through feeding kids and all the various stages that that entails, there's so much overwhelming information when it comes to raising children. And I myself am no stranger to mental illness. I actually struggled with an eating disorder in my late teens and early 20s. And really, I mean, even though I came into motherhood and was well into my recovery, so many things came to the surface kind of out of the blue that I did not expect, right? Like, feeding kids. There's so much conflicting information out there that makes it so overwhelming to know or to trust yourself when it comes to feeding. And I think especially for moms who have a history of disordered eating or a complicated relationship with food, all of this can come to the surface in motherhood. And um, I I really am just so passionate about coming alongside other women and mothers and helping them not only feel confident in how they're feeding themselves, but to feel confident in how they're raising their children and to have the resources and tools needed to be able to raise our kids free from diet culture. We are so entrenched in diet culture as a society, and it can feel really overwhelming as a parent, like you're up against something so big. But as parents, we can really be empowered to raise children to have a healthy relationship with food and their bodies. And so I'm super passionate about helping moms do that. And to me, there's nothing nothing better than, than working with a mom and seeing her feel more confident in how she's caring for herself and knowing that that is also making a difference in her child's life. I, It's really like a generational thing. And I really think that we as as parents and caregivers have the capacity to bring up this generation of kids that are free from diet culture. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, you can see me nodding along with you, but I, <laughs> my experience is very similar in that I struggled with an eating disorder in late high school and early college. I was actually originally going to school to be a dietitian as well. And I ended up switching to um, just nutrition 
and then going back for further training later. Um, but it, it really, it was also something that when I went into motherhood, I sort of immediately realized, I came to the realization very quickly that, oh my gosh, especially having a girl, I have two girls, that, oh my goodness, now it's my responsibility to raise them in a different way with a different mindset than the one that I grew up with and the one I struggled with for so long. And it really can be intimidating. It can be overwhelming to think, oh my goodness, I've struggled so, so for so many years with diet culture and with negative thoughts about my body and towards food. And it took me so long to move away from that. How can we set our kids up better? And I think the work you do is just so beautiful and so, so important. I mean, you know, I'm the Healthy Balanced Mama podcast over here. So I, I talk um, directly to moms a lot of the time as well. And it is just, it is so important. And like I told you when we started chatting before we actually hit record <laughs> was that, you know, there's, I still have a lot of questions, even though I've been in the intuitive eating world for a few years, I've done the intuitive eating counselor training. There's still so many things, especially with, you know, your kids are a little bit older than mine, having girls at different stages and going, okay, there are these new stages where, okay, now my seven-year-old is starting to become more aware of her body and more aware of food. And I try to encourage her to, you know, listen to her body when it comes to food. But there are certain instances where she'll say something and I'm not always quite sure how to, how to react, you know? Yeah. Um, where I'm like, I feel like I should know this. I've gone through this myself and I've done the work myself. So I think my first question for you is the mom who has, like you and like I have, struggled with food in the past, whether that's an eating disorder or just having a really, I guess, um, disrupted relationship with food, just a mm -hmm. hard relationship with food like many of us have, whether it's struggling with diets or body image or any of that, where do you recommend that a mom even starts when it comes to raising her kids free from diet culture? Yes, this is such a great question, Chris. And I just appreciate your vulnerability and honesty. And I think I think it's important for moms first to understand that you don't have to have it all together to raise a child to have a healthy relationship with food. And this is such a deep fear that so many women that I work with express, you know, I, and, I, and I see it and I feel their pain, just that deep um, grief and concern and anxiety that their kids are going to struggle with the same things that they went through. And it's hard because I think a lot of women are still in the process of healing their own relationship with food and navigating food outside of diet culture and figuring that out for themselves and, and now trying to raise children who have a positive relationship with food. And so I know it can be so overwhelming. And my encouragement is first to give yourself so much grace. We didn't, we didn't get a feeding manual with our kids when they were born. I wish we did. But the beauty here is that our children are already born with intuitive eating capabilities. And this is something that I, I want mothers to understand is that it's not necessarily your job to teach your child how to become an intuitive eater. It's more of your responsibility to preserve the innate abilities that they already have. And this is a big difference because I think so many moms feel like I have to teach them. I have to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. 
and really understanding that your child is already born, already has those innate that innate programming in them that helps them guide their relationship with food and their body. So really it starts with number one, just awareness of where you're at, the things that you might be struggling with still. And of course, getting outside help or support if you need it. And I always tell parents that the best gift you can give your child is just your own healing, right? Whether that's getting into therapy or working with someone who can help support ongoing healing in your own relationship with food and your body. Um, But of course, there's so many wonderful resources out there too. And I think just being open to reading, connecting with other people, the intuitive eating book is a wonderful place to start. And I would highly encourage, you know, anyone who's listening, who is curious by this topic, I think that's a wonderful place to start. And really, I think the awareness and curiosity about with food is is step one. And knowing that there's things that you can still do for your children to help preserve their their abilities, even while working on your own relationship with food. I think sometimes parents feel like I have to have I have to have all my ducks in the row and everything together before I can start doing this with my kids. But that's not the case. So definitely be encouraged and feel hopeful if if you're feeling like you're in a place where it's less than ideal, it's okay. Just the awareness in itself is really what helps those generational cycles of dieting start to crumble. I know that that is just so, so encouraging. Even even to me, after having spent several years healing my own relationship with food, that, you know, none of us have it all figured out, right? We're still living in this world that is so full of diet culture. And as much as we can just continuously work on our relationship with food, we're not ever going to be totally perfect, right? right. <laughs> and knowing that we can, we can really take care of our kids and help to encourage them right where right where we are at and right where they are at and i love that you mentioned it it isn't about necessarily teaching them it's about just preserving that innate ability to tune into their own bodies and to be intuitive eaters. I know that was so encouraging to me the first time I heard that and almost like a light bulb moment where it's like, oh, of course, of course we were born intuitive eaters. It is mm-hmm. that that diet culture that teaches us that we don't know what to eat, even though we do, <laughs> that yes. tries to teach us that we we don't know enough about our bodies. So I know that um, you have an article on your blog that I read And I love that you point out, and it's actually somewhat terrifying, (laughs) you pointed out that diet culture shows up everywhere when it comes to not just the things that we're experiencing, but oftentimes the things that our kids are experiencing, even things like kids' TV shows. So I'm wondering how you recommend the mom who, so she's working on her own relationship with food. She's trying to preserve this, you know, innate intuitive eating in her kids. What about when the diet culture comes up? What about when they're experiencing this? So they're at a birthday party and they hear a mom say something to another child that might not be aligned with the things that you believe, or they're watching Daniel Tiger and something comes up that is diet culture-y. How do you, um, how do you maybe approach that conversation or how do you encourage your kids when they are encountered with this because they, they are going to be, they are going to encounter this throughout their life. Yes. And I love that you bring this up because I think as we, 
as mothers start to heal our own relationship with food and become more aware of diet culture, you start to wake up to where it where it exists. And you're right. It's absolutely everywhere. And I think the thing that infuriates me the most is how it pops up in kids' media. But it's not surprising, you know. But yes, even wholesome shows like Daniel Tiger, which I'm not dogging on Daniel Tiger. I love that show. <laughs> Daniel Tiger basically potty trained my kids, you know, so, (laughs) um, but there are like subtle things where they'll mention like, oh, we need to eat healthy foods, like vegetables, or they'll emphasize things. Or I remember one of my kids was watching Pete the Cat once and, and they mentioned a three bite rule where your child should try three bites of everything. And of course that's like contradictory to things that we promote and endorse in our own home and very much part of preserving our children's innate intuitive eating abilities is to not force or pressure them to eat and to understand what our role is as a parent when it comes to feeding our children and to understand what their job is. You know, and part of this is building trust between us and our children. And this is, this is huge is being able to trust our kids to eat what they need from the foods that we're providing them, no matter how differently it looks from our own expectations. Mm -hmm. And so again, just being aware of where it's popping up and that's again, first step, but I always encourage mothers in understanding this, that the things that you're doing in your home and implementing, those things will speak louder to your children over time than anything that they'll hear or encounter. And I think it's just our job to really come alongside them and reinforce the things that we're, we're implementing in our own home. So of course, you know, if something pops up on a cartoon, my kids are watching, I, I, I'm, we're not going to be able to prevent our children from encountering all the different ways that diet culture shows up. But what we want to do is empower them to understand, you know, what is right for them and what they can leave behind. And so I'll just say things to reinforce, you know, what we're doing in our home. Like, it's okay. You don't have to try any foods if you don't want to, even though Daniel Tiger says we should. It's okay. You can listen to your body and listen to what your body is telling you. So, right, like reinforcing those types of messages to our kids, because that is what is going to speak loudest to them at the end of the day. Um, And it's hard because we're not going to be able to always identify what they're encountering, especially in school. I mean, obviously I know it's different now with COVID, but we want at the end of the day for them to be empowered, to be able to stand up for themselves against diet culture. And that really starts with reinforcing the messages that we want them to inherently believe about themselves. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That is so encouraging. Just reinforcement instead of feeling like we need to fix everything (laughs) in diet culture because it's just going to be there. It is. And when you're saying that, I'm actually thinking back to my own childhood too and, and recognizing that for myself, I don't remember those things that I learned. I'm sure there were definitely things in the media that affected me growing up, but it was the experiences in my family growing up that I think were the most impactful until I was the age where I could start to make my own choices with, you know, the things that I read in the magazines. And then some of that started to influence. But as a child, I don't remember 
noticing those messages on TV shows. I'm sure they were there, but I don't necessarily remember those, but I do remember those experiences around the table, the experiences with my parents who did their very best job. Um, but they grew up in a different time than I think we are now. And, and the way that they kind of encouraged us to finish everything on our plate, or we had to try the food or things like that were just things that they might not have recognized had been we're going to have so much, so much of an impact later on. So exactly. I'm, I'm really curious then. So you have five kids and I'm sure there are different preferences and opinions and things like that when it comes to mealtimes. So how do you do mealtimes with your family? If you and yes. I are encouraging your kids to listen to their bodies, but you have um, like seven mouths to feed, that's a lot of mouths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, mealtimes and I guess, how do you encourage other moms to approach mealtimes if they're like, okay, how do I actually help to preserve their innate intuitive eating abilities? Yes. I love this question, Chris. And I just want to start by saying that for so many of us, mealtimes are just survival. (laughs) We're just trying to get food on the table. And this can be complicated by kids with varying food preferences. And, you know, that's to be expected when we're raising children is that they're, they are going to have different food preferences. And I think sometimes there's a little bit of confusion around, you know, practicing intuitive eating as a family where we feel like we have to always cater to what our kids want to eat. And, and the truth is that that's just not realistic. You know, we just can't always hit the nail on the head and make exactly what everybody wants. And I think if we have that mindset and try to operate from that point of view, we're really going to burn out as mothers. And, you know, part of enjoying food with our family is eating with our family too. And I, I see so many moms and, you know, this is a common struggle where we're in the kitchen and we're trying to just get food on the table and our family's starting to eat and, and we don't even get to sit down because we're just running around (laughs) like crazy. And so I really just start by trying to encourage moms to start with what you're at with the food that you have, that you're already eating and really keep the big picture in mind. And that is that you want to enjoy each other at mealtimes as a family. And it's not so much about micromanaging what your child's eating, what they're not eating. And this is what we tend to focus on as moms, or we just carry this invisible mental load where we're constantly thinking about what our kids have eaten or not eaten. And this is, again, where that trust factor is so important. Um, We're providing the food and we are trusting that our kids will eat what they need from the food that we've provided them. And really in our home, I, I definitely have a mix, a mixed bag of different food preferences. And kids are so funny in that they're very fickle, especially toddlers, where they'll love something for a while and then all of a sudden they'll want nothing to do with it. And that's why we can't just go based off of our kids' food preferences alone. Um, I'm a huge advocate for offering a variety of foods when possible. I do think it's important to always include at least one to two food components that are safe and accepted to your children. And in that sense, it really helps kind of anchor your family at the table because when your kids can come to the table and and recognize at least something on the table that they're comfortable with, that helps to bring down their own stress and anxiety about eating pretty significantly. I do have one of my children, she's um, nine now, and she's come a very long way, but was a very selective 
child had a lot of sensory sensitivities and you know, for a while there was like a handful of foods that she would eat. And I would just keep (laughs) rotating those accepted foods into the rest of the family meal that I prepared. And gradually, you know, she would kind of move at her own pace, but this is the importance is that we are respecting where our kids are at when it comes to food and eating and at least having one to two accepted foods. I'm also a huge proponent of family style meals. And honestly, that's one of the ways that I keep my sanity is by not having to like portion and plate out everything. I just kind of put the food on the table and allow my kids to kind of self-serve, which it can be kind of messy and chaotic at times. I'm not going to lie, but it gives them the opportunity to learn how to feed themselves, which is really important. So those are a few ideas. Um, I feel like I could talk a lot just about this topic, but definitely just holding space for all the moms out there who are just trying to keep their family fed during this crazy time. And kudos to you. Like that in itself is monumental and you're doing a great job. Yes. Oh my goodness. That was so encouraging even to me. And the reminder that our kids do move at their own pace when it comes to food and they all do have different preferences and it's okay that they have different preferences. I know that I have two very different kids when it comes to food. My husband and I both have, um, different cultural backgrounds when it comes to the way that we grew up and the food that we eat. My husband's half Japanese. So he had some really, really delicious, um, you know, Japanese foods that they served, but his dad is Eastern European. So they had a lot of meat and potatoes too. Whereas I grew up with um, my English side, which, you know, was meat and potatoes kind of like that too. And then I also had, um, I have a Middle Eastern side. So we ate a lot of Middle Eastern foods. So we try to bring in a variety. And I'm also a trained chef. So I love food and I love introducing foods to my kids. So I've always tried to introduce them to a variety of different foods. Our oldest child has always been a very curious eater, a very open eater. She had a very small phase when she was probably around two or three, where she was a little bit more selective. And I, I think that was more of a kind of a maybe a developmental phase where she was just maybe testing her boundaries and she was just, and actually I'm really grateful that that was a time in her life where I was actually really exploring intuitive eating. And that was, Mm. and so for me, I'm very grateful that during that time I was just sort of like, okay, she'll, this will pass. She will, or, you know, maybe it won't, but this is her own journey with food. If it were before that, I probably would have been a little bit more nervous that she wasn't getting yes. enough or, but it was, it was short. It was maybe a year. If that it's not even that significant in my mind that I can be like, Oh, there was like a few years where she was really, you know, she was really selective around food, but she's always been very open. And then we have our uh, three-year-old. She just turned three at the end of October and she is a very selective eater and not compared to some kids. I know that every, every child is different and there are some children who have a lot more severe sensory issues and who are um, a lot more selective than she is, but she is fairly selective. She has um, more than a handful, but probably not as many as two handfuls of foods that I know that she will always eat. Um, some of those are like goldfish <laughs> so in terms of actual like nutrient dense foods as well. You know, we, we want to, we provide a variety of all types of foods in our house. Um, but in terms of nutrient dense foods, the selection is even, is even smaller. And so 
for me, you know, it is encouraging to hear even, you know, you've got kids who are selective as well and that they do move at their own pace. And it really is just that providing that variety. And we started doing family style meals probably a year ago as well, almost, almost entirely um, just, I mean, for both the convenience of it and then also allowing them to learn how to, how to serve themselves. And that's been so great because my kids will fight over the kale sometimes <laughs> because we just have it at the table and they know it's there. And when yeah. they know it's there, they feel so much more comfortable taking what they want and taking what they need. And it's so fascinating to see how our kids, just like us, sometimes need more, sometimes they need less. But That's I really right. loved um, your suggestion of having comfortable foods or, you know, having those, those foods that they are when, when we come to the table, they're like, Oh, like that's a food that I'm, you know, I guess that I'm comfortable with. And I think that's something that we may, might not have always implemented, or we might not always implement with our three-year-old where we'll all serve a stew or something like that. And she will look down at it. She doesn't love mixed foods and Mm -hmm. she'll look down at it and go, no eat. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Okay. And we just let her go. If she's hungry, we know that she'll eat. And sometimes there are nights where she doesn't eat a lot of dinner. And then she comes back the next morning and eats a huge breakfast. It's so cool to see how kids just self-regulate in that way. Um, But I am thinking going, "Hmm, it might be helpful to have something else on the table that she's a little bit more comfortable with. And, you know, rather than her being like horrified, looking at whatever stew we have on the table. (laughs) So I I appreciate those tips. Yeah, that's such a good point because one thing I think we don't realize is that mealtimes can already feel like a time of pressure for kids. And just like us as adults, like think about when you feel pressured or anxious about something physiologically that suppresses appetite typically. And kids are the same way. They'll just shut down when they feel like there's too much stress or pressure or tension. So we just want to diffuse that as much as possible to make the mealtime a really kind of inviting place and to let them know. And I tell my kids this all the time. Um, I just say, you don't have to eat it if you don't want to, but we're having family time. We'd love for you to come sit and just share about your day, you know, just to make it something that they can build positive associations with, you know, cause I, and I relate so much to your story. I'm also half Middle Eastern and just culturally, there was a lot of different expectations growing up around meals and food mm-hmm. and cleaning your plate was one of those big things, right? Yeah. Where it's like, it's like a, what's the word I'm thinking of? I mean, it's like an insult to you know, your family, if you're not eating the food that they're giving you. And so Mm -hmm. reversing that type of thinking, that's something new for us as parents now, now that we're raising our own kids, we're doing something different. So you bring up so many good points, you know, and I just tell parents, think about the big picture. The big picture is not to get your kid to eat. That's not our job. Mm -hmm. Our, our job is to make, you know, create positive associations around food and to make our child feel safe at the table. So, and, and by doing that, by default, they'll naturally get what they need. Yes. Yeah. You know, I have a question here that I get asked often and, you know, I oftentimes refer to the, the experts on child nutrition because I love talking about intuitive eating and my own experience with my kids, but I'm not the expert. (laughs) And I get the question a lot about how do we serve our kids food? And you already talked about serving family style, but what about portions? Cause I know that there is a lot out there about like, we need to give our, we need to make sure our kids get enough of this or enough of this. So how do we trust that our kids are are getting enough? How do we portion our food out 
to our kids or do we just serve everything family style and just totally leave it up to them? Oh, this is such a great question. I think portion sizes can be helpful and that they're just kind of guidelines. I think about it as guidelines, right? Like this is generally the amount of food your child needs, but we have to understand that nobody knows what's best or how much food our child needs except our child. They're the only one Mm -hmm. They're the only ones living in their own bodies. And as you alluded to earlier, they are so connected to what they need and they really do self-regulate. The trouble with portion sizing guidelines is that it creates the expectation that our kids need to eat a certain amount of food in a 24-hour time period. And we tend to think about it in that way. When in reality, our kids tend to get what they need over the course of time. I'm talking like weeks. So, you know, we really have to move away from this idea that my kid needs X many servings of fruits and veggies and dairy like in one day. Because when we operate from that mindset, we're, we're more focusing on like, it's the micromanaging again. Mm -hmm. It's not trust. And the best way again, to preserve our children's innate intuitive eating abilities is to trust, to trust that they will get what they need. And truly they do. And all the research has shown that children tend to get what they need over the course of time, not in a 24 hour period. So my encouragement is to definitely kind of move away from that idea that what your child eats in one meal is a snapshot of their nutritional intake because it truly isn't. (laughs) If you watch any child eat, like you were kind of mentioning, like sometimes they'll eat a ton at one meal. Sometimes they won't eat hardly anything at the next meal or they'll be heavy on the carbs, but then the next day they'll eat a lot of protein. I mean, it's all over the place and that's normal. That's expected. Um, And to your question about portioning and how do we portion, again, you know, for some, for some families, family style meals just won't work, or there's some parents are just not comfortable doing that, or they might have littler kids where they feel better portioning. So my recommendation is if you are portioning on your child's plate, get your child involved with this because sometimes simply putting food on a plate and putting that plate in front of a child can feel like pressure to a kid where they're like, they see something on their plate. It already feels overwhelming. I like how you said about the mixed foods. Uh, My kids were like that, you know, where they just, anything that was mixed together, They just didn't even want anything to do with it, you know? So my encouragement is if you are portioning, ask your child, you know, would you like some of this on your plate? Where would you like me to put it? And simply asking those questions helps our children to feel more autonomous and like they're part of it. And that's going to, again, just melt that pressure away that they might feel about having to eat something. So again, there's no necessarily one right, way to do meals or to do or to feed your children i just recommend bringing your kids as um, into it into the equation you know asking them again like do you want me to put some of this on your plate rather than just kind of plopping it on there without asking them and that that can again shut them down from actually eating or wanting to eat 
Yeah, I think sometimes we forget that our kids are tiny humans and that they we see their opinions when we put the food in front of their plate and they say yuck or they say no, but we forget that we can get them involved in it. That yes, we're the parents, so we provide the food, but that they can be a part of the process. And I think it really can be so empowering for them to allow them to help you put the food on the plate or and to choose, you know, what feels good for them. So, oh, I love that so much. So another thing that I get asked a lot is kids and snacking. So what if our kids don't really want to eat full meals and they just want to snack? Do we stop them so that they will eat full meals? How do we navigate not, I guess, not putting restrictions around food, but also wanting to nourish our kids well, wanting them to eat the food at meals? Yes, this is such a good question. So there can be a couple different things going on here. Sometimes kids prefer snacking because they prefer the foods that are offered at snacks. So sometimes like all the fun snacky foods like goldfish or granola bars or whatever it is, sometimes those are only seen at snack time. And because of that, a child will naturally gravitate to only wanting to snack. So if that's the case, or if you suspect that that might be happening, my encouragement is to incorporate some of those snack foods that your child is really into at mealtimes. So offering like, you know, an amount of goldfish alongside all the other foods that your child is already eating um, or whatever it is, whatever that your child might be into. The other thing is, is snacks are an important opportunity to nourish and feed our kids. And again, I think it's important that kids have regular snacks throughout the day. Again, my encouragement is to make it a thing, right? Like we're having snack time. And I try to encourage parents to not have it too close to mealtimes, you know, like generally like an hour and a half, two hours before you're planning on serving a meal. And make it a thing, you know, have everyone sit down. You don't have to sit at the table. You can have a little picnic outside or put a blanket on the floor, like make it fun. But again, make it a thing so that your child knows it's snack time right now. And I, I'm a huge proponent too of having, having healthy boundaries with our kids when it comes to food. They, they need that support at this time. And so that could look like establishing your meal and snack times. It doesn't mean this has to be rigid by any means, but you know, you're having a designated snack time. And then when that snack is over, it's like the kitchen's closed kind of (laughs) where it's like, okay, we're, we're going to eat again, you know, at, dinner or whatever it is. Like we want our kids to know that food is always coming and it's always part of their future, but we don't want them to just have free reign of the kitchen and the fridge and the pantry all the time. Because again, if they're just constantly grazing, they're not going to want to come to mealtimes and eat generally. So I know that's, again, I say this with with so much compassion, because I know right now, so many of us are living at home and we've been at home for months on end with our (laughs) kids and (laughs) snacking is just like how we're surviving right now. So, you know, please give yourself so much grace and you just have to do what's working best for your family right now. But generally, if you can keep some boundaries around your meal and snack times, that can help your child too. We don't just want our kids to be eating all day. We want them to be able to eat what they need and then move on to other things, which is why I think those boundaries around uh, meal and snack times can be helpful. But again, 
so much grace right now to every mom who's listening and is just trying to hold down the fort with kiddos at home. It's tough. Yes. Yeah, it is. And our kids have definitely been snacking more than usual just because, you know, they are at home and it is there. And you know what? I do think that there are seasons of our lives, right? And we are just all trying to do the best we can. But I I appreciate you talking about having those healthy boundaries around meals and snacks too. Um, Because that was definitely something that we had to work through probably a year or so ago once our our youngest was old enough to be able to kind of get things open packages feed herself we had a snack drawer that we would just let our oldest just go and grab a snack when she wanted it but then our youngest is definitely the one who will just snack so this question was a lot for me (laughs) she will just snack all day long and then she won't eat meals because those are the type of food she likes so I think that is just such wonderful advice to put some of those snack foods with their meals so that they just, so that they are neutral. And then also to have those healthy boundaries around it. That is something that we've implemented more in, in our family too, especially yeah. we, we homeschool our oldest daughter, our, um, our youngest isn't, isn't old enough for homeschool right now, but right. we try to have a, a break during, so it provides a break for school time. We only homeschool yes. days because she's only in first grade and uh, we have a break. And then that's also snack time. It's like, okay, time to go get a snack. And they have a snack. And then we go back to doing schoolwork and the little, little one goes and plays if she's not at daycare. Oh. And then, uh, and then we have lunchtime together after that too. So yeah, that was, that was encouraging to me as well. Yeah. Um, So I guess piggybacking off of snacking, this is always the big question and you, you speak so, so well on this. So I would love to talk about kids and sugar and you have a great, another great article on your website. We'll link to your website so they can go and and check out your blog post and your Instagram is also a fantastic resource as well. Um, But you talk about the dessert pendulum effect. So can you talk a little bit more about the importance of normalizing sugar and what a healthy relationship with sugar and sweet foods is for our kids. Because I know that when we talk about snacking and, and then also, you know, being, we're not really going to things like birthday parties right now, right? when those, when those happen again, what is a healthy relationship with sugary and sweet foods for our kids? Yes. I love this topic so much. And I feel like I could (laughs) talk just about this by itself. And I do talk a lot about this just generally like on my Instagram, because I've seen that this is such a pain point for so many parents. And part of the reason is that diet culture has demonized sugar. Like you would not believe, I mean, calling it the culprit of everything. And um, unfortunately that mindset can make it a very complicated thing for us to deal with, with our children when in reality, and you know, the other thing too, is that this can be a hard topic for us as parents. So a lot of the parents that I work with and talk with sugar is uncomfortable for them, or they may be in a position where they can't keep desserts in their home because they're afraid of eating it or eating all of it. And so there's a lot of complex layers that can happen here. But really when we're looking at it, it's important that we look at the big picture again and understand that if our children feel deprived or restricted from sugar in any way or desserts or the yummy foods that they want to eat, that is going to directly result in obsession and preoccupation around these foods. So oftentimes, I mean, I work with a lot of moms who 
are undoing years of being restricted from sweets as a child. And now it's become a very chaotic and complicated thing where, you know, they're, they're relearning how to have a positive and healthy relationship with sweets. Um, And this is hard again, because diet culture has demonized what sugar is, calling it toxic, calling it addictive, calling it, you know, it's going to cause all these different diseases. And it starts with understanding that the, the thing that's most unhealthy for your child will be having a chaotic relationship with food and sugar. That is far worse for your child than anything they will eat. I will promise you that. And so you have to start by looking at how is sugar approached in your home? And when I say that we don't want to restrict our kids from sugar, sometimes parents hear that and they misinterpret it to mean that, okay, I should just give my kids like sugar whenever they want, whenever they want. (laughs) But that's not necessarily what I'm saying either. What I am saying is that to normalize sugar for our children, we often have to include it and offer it more frequently than we may feel comfortable with. And it's worth working through that discomfort in order to help our children not have a complex with desserts and sweets and to grow up and to be able to, you know, enjoy a dessert out and leave some on the plate because they're content and they're not worried about the next time they're going to have it again. Um, And so how do you normalize sugar with your kids? Well, first it starts with looking at your current approach. You know, as a parent, are you intentional about including different sweets and things that your child may be into? Again, if your child is young, like I say, two or under, then I wouldn't necessarily worry about this so much yet. But if you have an older child who is more aware and and cognizant of the fact that sugar exists and and candy is here, and, and, you know, at the time of recording this, we're kind of in the middle of the holiday season and there's definitely sweets abounding. And so how are we approaching that as parents? And I, I mean, I'm a dietitian and we have sweets multiple times a day with meals and snacks. And, you know, parents always ask me that, well, how, how many sweets do your kids eat? (laughs) (laughs) I have like jars of candy and cookies in my pantry and, and my kids do not obsessive over them or go crazy over them because they've seen them so frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, they're able to eat them. This is kind of a funny story that I like to tell, but my son, who's now four, there was one time where we were having brownies and I, and I just put out like a plate of brownies that we had made with milk as a snack. And I love watching my kids eat. For me, it's so healing because it really helps me it helps me remember those innate intuitive eating abilities that are there. And he was eating and, you know, he was just kind of like taking things in. He literally left the smallest bite of brownie on his plate. And he was like, I'm done. And he left. And I was like, who does that? (laughs) Like who leaves like the tiniest, like little bite. And it just reminded me like when I was struggling with disordered eating and, and my eating disorder, like I had such a complicated relationship with desserts. They were something that I would binge on. Um, I would never leave a bite of anything <laughs> on my plate, you know, and it was just such a beautiful reminder to me that when we trust our kids to eat and to be able to self-regulate, they truly will listen to their bodies. 
Um, and a lot of parents that I work with are are scared of letting their kids have sugar and just say like, my kids will go crazy. They'll eat everything. And this is referring to the dessert pendulum that you were talking about that I, that I try to explain to parents is if your child hasn't had a normal experience with eating desserts or sweets, think about it like a pendulum, right? It's kind of like swinging them to one side of a pendulum. And when you start to normalize desserts and sweets in your home and offer them more frequently, it's like letting go of that pendulum and letting, you know, what happens with the pendulum is that it swings to the other side. So often kids will get excited about dessert for a long time, you know, and I I encourage parents to offer desserts with meals and snacks to help normalize it. And parents are like, well, what if my kid only eats dessert and nothing else? Well, that's okay. That might have to happen for a while, but just like a pendulum kind of swings from side to side, eventually it falls into the middle area, like the neutral area. And that's truly what happens with kids, but they kind of have this rebound period where they need some time to trust that sweets are always going to be there. And when they can trust that those foods will be there, they won't feel a need to eat everything that comes in view the minute that it's placed in front of them. So I know this can be a really hard topic. And again, like I had mentioned, it's usually layered by multiple things, by diet culture, but oftentimes we as parents project our own fears and our own past experiences around um, food and around, you know, dessert, whatever it is, those things can get projected onto our child. So it's really important to just kind of self-check, be aware of what your own feelings are. I will also say we, we live in a very fat phobic culture. And a lot of parents tell me, I'm scared of my child being overweight. I'm scared that they'll eat desserts and and just blow up and what that means for them. And I know that's coming from a good place. As a parent, we just want to protect our children from the harsh world that we do live in. And unfortunately, diet culture is very harsh. And and this is where I, I try to remind and encourage parents that your children can be trusted. And sometimes, again, it's really working through our own fears and being able to sit with some of that discomfort in order to help our kids establish a healthy relationship with food. So yeah, I know this is a really big topic, but I do have several posts on my blog, all, I mean, very about many different subjects related to kids and sugar. So, so helpful. I know that this is something that I was nervous about in the especially when my oldest daughter started becoming more aware of sugar and sweets. And in the place where I was, like I mentioned in my relationship with food, she was about, she was about two or three. Yeah, she was about two or three when I first started exploring intuitive eating in my own relationship with food. And I know that the first couple of years of her life, I was trying so hard to not expose her to things like sugar because sugar was the worst. And I was like, so sure I wanted to, I wanted her to grow up in, you know, this sugar-free environment. And I, you know, okay, maybe at a birthday party, but so I had my own fears around there too. And I know that that definitely took some time for me to wrap that 
around in my head and and realize that the same thing happens with kids as it does with us when we give up dieting. And sometimes we do go in the other direction and we need some time to find that balance and to realize that when these foods are around all the time, then we're not so crazy about them and we can eat them in a normal amount that, that feels good for us. Yeah. And you, oh, I was just going to add, you brought up such a good point too. And that is that a lot of our parenting is graded by how we feed our kids. And that's another mm-hmm. layer of external yeah. pressure where we feel like, uh, you know, we have to raise the perfect eater who loves vegetables and eats every, you know, a variety of different foods and doesn't want anything to do with processed foods or sugar. And then we get smacked with like a reality check of <laughs> our kids who don't operate within societal's like very unrealistic standards of how kids eat. And I think, you know, again, it kind of falls on us as parents where we feel like it's almost like how we grade ourselves as parents based on how our kids eat. And, you know, I try to remind parents too, like you are a good parent because you care and you love your child, not because of any way that your child eats. So I think normalizing that is so important too. I'm glad you brought that up. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you added that because it is, it's so true. We beat ourselves up so much and, and we do forget that our kids are humans too. And that they, (laughs) that no matter how hard we try to, they're still going to have their own opinions. And our, our goal is just to, to raise kids with that, with that healthy relationship with us. So I would love to talk then about healthful eating, right? Or nutrient dense foods, I guess, right? I don't know the best way to put this, but so how do we teach our kids? So you're a dietitian and, you know, there is, there's benefit to eating our kids eating in a way that's balanced and has, and is full of nutrient dense foods as well as those fun foods. So how do we teach our kids about healthful foods while also having this neutral approach where they're not looking at foods as good and bad and without kind of bringing that diet culture in? Yes. I love that you asked this. And I know that my opinion is very (laughs) countercultural as a dietitian, but I don't actually feel like it's our role or responsibility to Mm. teach kids about nutrition. Kids are very literal, concrete thinkers. And so they can easily misinterpret nutrition facts and nutrition information that we might tell them. And we want to try to avoid any kind of polarizing language around food too. And it's hard to introduce nutrition facts without planting these seeds of assumption that some foods are better than others. And and yeah, you know, of course, like different foods have different nutritional values and different nutritional properties, but we want our kids to establish that all foods are emotionally equivalent. And if we can do that, again, our kids will naturally get the things that they need without any outside kind of guidance from us. And again, nutrition education can be very complicated, which is why I personally steer away from it. I just focus on offering my children a variety of different foods of modeling, eating a variety of different foods. Often my kids are curious about things that they see me eating, you know, and if they see us eating the things that we, we also would like them to kind of try or eat, that's going to be helpful. So really I, I, I don't think that nutrition education needs to be part of raising a healthy child. And again, that can sound very counterintuitive, but positive eating experiences are more important than 
you know, quote, balanced eating. Balanced eating is a very arbitrary term anyway. Our kids are going to get what they need over the course of time, like I had mentioned earlier. So it's more about connecting with your child, focusing on making mealtimes a positive experience, modeling, eating a variety of different foods and including those. Um, but, But just remember that Again, kids are very literal thinkers, and many nutrition concepts can be very abstract for them and kind of hard to wrap their brain around. So they don't understand the nuances of certain terms or facts like we would as adults. You know, so generally, I I say leave it off the table and focus on, again, the things that you're doing to establish positive eating experiences in your home. I love that. And as as you were talking, I'm I'm going back to and thinking of my own childhood experiences again and realizing that some of the foods that we know are nutrient dense like vegetables were things that weren't necessarily talked about, but they were just put on our plates. And I grew up loving and eating vegetables because my dad had and I'm actually at my parents' house right now and if I look out the window, I can see my dad's garden. They just moved into this house a couple of years ago, but the first one of the first things my dad did after they moved in the furniture was start mapping out his garden. So he has this big, beautiful garden with lots of vegetables. Every summer I would go out and I would help them, him plant them. I would help him harvest them. And they were just on our plate. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that it was like, oh, this is good. This is bad. And, and mm. not, necess- not that I'm putting that label on vegetables. Well, we know that vegetables have nutrients. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was something where it was just a part of my upbringing. And that was never something that I struggled with eating or not eating because it was very neutral. And it's so interesting thinking back and and hoping that my kids will also have that, you know, just neutral, innate view towards food. So they eat the foods that they enjoy. And some of those are high in nutrients too, because they just see them on their plates and they enjoy them. And I try to, um, for myself, I try to introduce a variety of different foods in a variety of different ways too. And it's so fun to see how they enjoy different foods prepared. Like they'll like this vegetable prepared this way, or they'll like, you know, this protein in a soup versus if it was like, it's very cool to see and just to give them that variety. And, and so I, I really appreciate that perspective because it is very different than what culture tells us that, oh, we're supposed to teach our kids. And then, you know, of course there's school where they are going to go through and teach them that this is good or this is bad. And there is so much, um, I think there are so many like, you know, good and bad lists and you're right that kids are so literal. And I, I never thought of it like that, that that is how they're going to take it. Even if we try to explain the nuances to them until they are adults and are, are able to have that full capacity of looking at those nuances of nutrition or if they choose to, (laughs) exactly that they're not, they're not really able to at that young age. So no, I really, really appreciate that perspective. Oh, thank you, Chris. And I'll just add to that too, that I think it's more important to help your child kind of connect to themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'll I'll just ask my kids open-ended questions that cause them to kind of check in. Like, how is your tummy feeling? Does your tummy need more of something that's on the table? You know, like mm-hmm. asking those like reflective questions. So it's more about them learning to listen to their body versus like any outside rules that may be there about food. Yeah. And that's why I try to be really careful about nutrition information because that can easily form into a food rule. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes kids l- interpret things literally, you know, like this food is good for you. I must be a good 
child, like if I eat this and same with like bad foods, you know? So yeah, it can be, it can be a murky water that you want to tread very carefully. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. So there's something that I want to talk about and this would certainly be, it could certainly be like an episode in and of itself, but I want to at least touch on it a little bit here. And you already mentioned before that we live in such a fat phobic world where, you know, most of our culture thinks that there is one size that is healthy. We know that that's not true. We know that health comes in a large, large variety of sizes um, and that we're all meant to be different sizes, that even if we ate the same way and moved the same way and lived the same way, that we would still all look different. Mm-hmm. But I know that for myself and my own personal experience, and I want to I want to bring this in um, because my experience with my kids is a little bit different than I know that I have some friends who have a very different experience. So I felt a lot of pressure really early on with my kids to feed my kids on a schedule to make sure that they were eating enough and to kind of like to track what they eat because both of them were and are just small. My husband and I are just, you know, we're not tall people. We're just in smaller bodies and our kids are just naturally that way so far. I mean, they're still kids. Um, but this was a, it was really hard for me in those first, in that first year, especially when they were babies and there was so much pressure from the pediatricians to make sure. And obviously we want to make sure that we are, we are feeding our kids and we gave them regular checkups and we trusted Mm -hmm. the doctors to tell us that they were on track. Um, but I think that carried on a lot with both of my kids, you know, as they grew up and, and just that bit of anxiety. Cause I, I have personally struggled with some anxiety and that was one of those things where it was like, Oh my gosh, are my kids getting enough? And I needed to consistently remind myself that we all come in different sizes. I'm only five feet tall and that my kids might, might be the same height as me or, you know, somewhere mm-hmm. around there too. But I have friends who have the opposite experience and who have had pressure from a very young age. And actually like for me and what I do, it's, it's, it hurts to hear what some of my friends have gone through with their kids being at such a young age and being asked to micromanage their food, to restrict calorie dense foods to, and that that's the actual word that was used. That's the only reason that we don't normally talk about calories around here, but that was, mm-hmm. you know, that's, those are the words that were used um, from some of these healthcare providers because their kids are on a different side of the spectrum than my kids were. So what would your advice be? I guess, how do we approach this? How do we approach this maybe with healthcare providers? How do we, how do we as parents, how do we know if what we're doing is right for our kids? And how do we work through allowing our kids to fall into what is their natural body size? I know that's a big question, Mm -hmm. but I would just Mm -hmm. love to hear your, your thoughts on this. Yes, this is such an important topic and I can resonate as a mom who's had kids on both sides of the spectrum too. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I remember with my second daughter, um, she was a late preterm and we were having a lot of a lot of feeding struggles and the doctors were really like tracking her weight super closely. And I felt like her weight was a measure of my progress as a mom. Mm, And it's hard because it starts at infancy and you're absolutely right. I've worked with several families who have come to me because they were given advice from well-meaning pediatricians and, and providers who recommended that 
essentially they either force feed their child or restrict and, you know, minimize how much that their child is eating or strictly portion and control. This is a really hard topic. And again, we just want the best for our kids. And a lot of us don't know any different and we're going to do whatever a professional will tell us to do. My encouragement is to first trust your mama instinct that if something doesn't feel right to you, or if you're implementing something that your doctor or somebody recommended, but it's a struggle, like it's creating power struggles between you and your child, please trust your instinct. You know, that that instinct is there for a reason. And I will also say that when we try to micromanage how our kids are eating in order to influence their body size, it never ends well. It never ends well. And we just can't, we just can't tell what size our child is going to end up in. And it's not our job. Honestly, we can't Mm -hmm. control our child's body size. We can't, we just can't. And so I think this is where that trust factor is so important that we trust that our child will grow into the body that they're already pre-genetically disposed to have. And they will eat what they need to grow into that body as long as we focus on our jobs and responsibilities when it comes to feeding and trusting our kids to do their part with eating. The minute we try to cross out of our lane and do our child's part with eating in order to get them to eat a certain amount or you know, to mold their body size somehow, that is where the trouble brews right there. Because we never were intended to do the eating part for our kids. They're the only ones that can do that. Um, And I, you know, I will say unless there, of course, unless there is some type of medical condition um, or something that would warrant, you know, really altering a child's diet, but even in those situations, the feeding relationship between the, the caregiver and the child is so instrumental in helping a child get what they need and grow into their natural body type. Um, and this is something that we have to really protect and preserve fiercely, fiercely, because everything in society is telling us, you know, you need to do X, Y, and Z, or it's not okay if your child's in this size body, whether it's a larger body or a smaller body, but it's typically a misreading of a child's growth that can trigger feeding complications. And the reality is, is that we want to see continuous growth but all children are growing at different paces, Mm -hmm. right? So we want to see our kids growing. Some kids grow at that bottom percentile. Like if you're looking at those growth charts that we get when we take our kids in for well checks, um, some kids grow and sustain that growth beautifully at the fifth percentile, at the lowest percentile. Mm -hmm. And they do great. They eat what they need. They're sustaining growth but that's where they're at. And then on the opposite end, you know, we have kids that are sustaining growth way at the top of the charts and that's okay too. My youngest, she actually was like off the chart. She was like on her Mm -hmm. own, like (laughs) plot curve. And thankfully we had a really great doctor who was just like, you know, didn't, didn't say anything, but this is where I think we do have to advocate for our children and remembering that, and, and again, I'm speaking very generally. I know that there's amazing practitioners out there who, who do see the big picture when it comes to growth and development. 
But then there's a handful of providers who are very entrenched in our fat phobic diet culture and, um, you know, who, again, may have not had the full scope of training when it comes to understanding some of these complexities and nuances of, of child nutrition. And so it's okay to advocate for your child. It's okay to take what you want and need from a well check visit or, you know, from your provider and then leave what's not working or jiving with you. If it doesn't make you feel good about implementing something, whether it's force feeding your child or cutting something out, you know, please follow that intuition because you can trust your child. And of course, if there's any, any type of of signs or symptoms that you're concerned about when it comes to your child's progress and health and nutrition, you know, pay attention to those too. But generally, like we can trust our kids to get what they need to grow into the bodies that they're meant to have. And this is, again, where sometimes we have to sit in our own discomfort, right? Like if we have a child who may be in a larger body, um, we have to reconcile with that discomfort and what might be coming up for us. And same if, if you have a child in a smaller body. And unfortunately, again, our society in general is just harsh towards, towards children in regards to their body sizes. And I think as parents, we're just well-intentioned and wanting to protect our kids from that. But at the same time, ultimately we want to preserve what their body is naturally supposed to be. Um, and not try to manipulate that because that's when, again, a lot of problems can come up. Yes. Oh my goodness. Thank you so, so much for that. I, I don't think it's taught enough that our kids are going to be where they're going to be because we all have that natural body size and it's okay to stay in our own lane as their parents and and be their parents and let them do that that eating job like you said like that is that is their job and our job is is just to is to provide them with the food and to work on sitting in our own discomfort when it comes to that yeah, yeah. yeah. i remember when my when my youngest daughter um we were feeling a lot of pressure and, and uh, myself, especially my, my husband's a little bit, um, he's just a little bit more calm in general, <laughs> I think than I am as a parent. <laughs> and I remember, um, we were recommended to bring our youngest daughter in. Um, this is really, really early. She was an infant at this point for a weigh-in and our, our usual doctor was on vacation, but we had to, they wanted us to be doing regular weigh-ins with her. And we had a, a different doctor that we hadn't had the most positive experience with in the past. She wasn't my favorite doctor in the practice. And we, we go to a, a wonderful practice with some fantastic doctors. Um, but she wasn't her favorite, but she was a doctor who had been in the practice. I, it might, she might've been the longest in the practice. So she had several years of several decades of experience with kids and we brought her in and she's like, what are you here for? And we're like, Oh, just a weight check. And we did the weight check and we're like, why are, why are they asking you to do the weight check? And we're like, Oh, well, she's had some feeding issues. And she's like, she's fine. She's just going to stay along this curve. As long as she stays along her curve, she's fine. And my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, um, okay. And that was honestly the doctor that I didn't expect to give me the most encouragement. And it was like, from that moment on, it was like, everything had changed. like the switch flipped where I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. She's just on her own curve yes. and she's just going to be where she is. And now at three, she went for her checkup about a month ago and the doctor's like, oh yeah, she's fine. She's small. She's fine. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And sometimes I think we just need permission. Yeah. And another thing too is also understanding this concept of bodies changing, you know, mm-hmm. and and understanding that for ourselves as mothers, especially as we go through seasons of pregnancy and postpartum, but also for our kids that their bodies are going to change constantly over their, their time of growth that we have them. Um, And, you know, I'll just bring this up briefly, but I I see this a lot for adolescent, pre-adolescent girls Mm -hmm. where they might start gaining weight as they should be. It's, it's, it's intended for their bodies to store more body fat as they prepare to go into puberty. But that can be really concerning for a lot of parents who are like, what's happening, you know, or what do I need to do? And then try to manipulate food somehow. Um, When in reality, we want to be accepting of our body, our our children's bodies changing over time, because that's what our bodies are meant to do. And again, Mm -hmm. challenges this really damaging rhetoric that's part of diet culture that insinuates the idea that our bodies are not supposed to change when in reality, (laughs) They are. That is a very necessary thing, um, especially for our kids who are growing and changing. So yeah, keep that in mind too for any parents that are listening because there's so much conflicting information out there. And again, you can trust your children and, and focus on the things that you do to nurture wherever your child is. Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh, Crystal. This has been so, so amazing. Oh my goodness. I could talk to you for hours and hours. (laughs) I feel the same way. You have so many great questions. Oh my gosh. This is so good. I'm wondering, I want to do a couple final fun little rapid fire questions just for you. (laughs) Um, But before, before we get to those fun little rapid fire questions, I just want to know if there is a final message. If you could leave the moms who are listening with just a message to share with my listeners, maybe to put them at ease when it comes to their desire to raise kids free from diet culture. Yes. Oh, and I wish this is where I could reach through the screen and just give any mom who's out there listening a huge hug because it's hard and you are going against everything that society says is important and necessary, right? Like raising kids outside of of diet culture is very counterintuitive. It feels counterintuitive, but you are doing the most important work and everything that you're doing, no matter how insignificant it may seem, is setting setting a foundation for your child that will last them for their entire life. And it's hard to be a generation breaker, right? A lot of us repeat behaviors that we learned from our caregivers, you know, it it really cycles all the way back for generations. And it's hard to be the one to say, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm going to do something differently. Um, But know that you're not alone and know that there is so much power in what you're doing, not just for yourself, but for your children and for all future generations, because you took a stand and said, no, no more. And so I just want to encourage you, whoever's listening to this, to know that you're not alone and to really focus on the those baby steps. I know sometimes as parents, especially mothers, we can be super hard on ourselves and focus on all the things that we feel like we're not doing right. But just your desire alone to do things differently with your children, um, you know, to start 
a new way of approaching food in your family. That desire alone is what is going to help those generational cycles of dieting and and food guilt and body shame just start to crumble. So be encouraged in what you're doing and know that, that this is the most important work that you can do for your family. So hang in there. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. I could just mic drop and turn it off right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. I, I love just ending though with a fun little personal rapid fire because I like to share food in a way that's joyful. I love food. I'm a chef and I want to bring some of that joy in eating, um, to the end of every episode or every guest interview that I have, um, because I want to encourage people that food is allowed to be joyful. And especially as we're talking about, you know, eating and, um, raising our kids free from diet culture and, and with more joy around food, in my opinion, too. My first rapid fire question for you is what is your favorite thing to cook? I love this. And this might sound so silly, but I love cooking Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) (laughs) and it only happens, you know, of course, once a year, but I usually take most responsibility over all the dishes and I don't know, there's just something, yeah, joyful about putting together a meal that I see my family enjoying together. And it's a lot of those dishes that I don't cook all the time. So I guess that's why it's a little bit more fun for me. But for me, that's one of my favorite things to cook. Oh, I love that. I did most of Thanksgiving dinner this year for my family too, because we had a much smaller Thanksgiving as I think most people, most people have. And it is just so fun. So, oh my gosh, I have not had that answer yet. So I I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So then what is your favorite thing to either order or have someone special cook for you? Oh my gosh. We love ordering Thai food and Mm. I, my favorite is coconut curry and I just can't replicate that. I mean, there's just something about the way that they cook it and like the ingredients and the spices that they use. And I've tried replicating it before and it was just a total (laughs) fail. (laughs) So ordering a Thai food is definitely something that we enjoy doing as a family. And I love every single bite of it. Yes. Oh, there is something about really like traditional cultural foods from like different cultures than I grew up in that. Yeah, I've tried to replicate too. And there's just nothing like going to that amazing restaurant where they just yes. they do it in the traditional way. Yeah. It's yes. so good. I love and Thai food I, too. <laughs> yes. And I guess I have to add to that because my mom, so I'm half Hispanic and then half Middle Eastern and mm-hmm. it made for like such a uh, melting pot of foods, but yes, like authentic Middle Eastern food that, you know, my grandma would make, oh my goodness, there's nothing like that too. Or she'd make like the fresh bread and Mm. uh, yeah, you can't beat that either. So that has (laughs) to be, yes, I should also give an honorable mention to that. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. So, so good. Because here on the Healthy Balance Mama podcast, we are all about balance and we I love to share balance from different perspectives and different women with different lives. What does your beautiful balance mean to you? I love this question, Chris. And for me, I think more so, especially recently, um, as I've ventured further into my motherhood journey, is learning to listen and trust my own intuition as a mom. And I find that that innate wisdom that I do have in there is very helpful in guiding my life, you know, and knowing like, is something too much? Am I doing too much or spending too much time in this area or not enough time in this area? And really understanding like those values 
that I care about the most are there. I just have to listen to them a little more closely. And when I can listen to them and honor my values and intuition, I do find that it does guide the trajectory of my life, whether it's how I'm spending my day-to-day time um, and just like what I'm pursuing overall in my life. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that so much of our conversation has been around trusting themselves and their instinct, our instincts as moms, our intuition, and then also then trusting our kids. So, so good. So where can my listeners connect with you and all that you do? Thank you. I appreciate you asking. Yes, I'm on Instagram at Crystal Cargus and share, you know, a lot of tips and resources and kind of behind motherhood scenes on there. And also my website is just crystalcargus.com. My blog, I have several different blog posts related to pregnancy, postpartum, feeding kids. It's all in there. Um, And then also I do lead a free virtual support group for moms who Mm -hmm. are in eating disorder recovery. So for any of your listeners who are trying to navigate all the complexities that come with kind of healing your own relationship with food and your body while raising kids, we do have this free support group. We have an amazing community of women that make this a really safe and nurturing space. So um, that's on my website too. It's called Lift the Shame. Oh, that's fantastic. And so, so needed. Oh my gosh. We're going to put all of those links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being on with me today and this fantastic conversation. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to share this. Oh, Chris, it's been such a pleasure to connect with you. And thank you for everything you're doing for the motherhood community. You create such a beautiful space with your platform and everything that you're doing. And it's just an honor to be part of it. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.